So Marcus um, had the just enticing assignment to cover Joe Biden on Saturday. Uh, Joe Biden was in Nevada. Um, you know, Nevada caucus is obviously one of the first. It goes New Hampshire. It goes Iowa, New Hampshire, and Nevada is actually before South Carolina this year. So Nevada is very important. Bernie has obviously been there. Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, Pete Buttigieg, Judge, uh, who, by the way, just hired a former Goldman Sachs executive to be his national policy director. Can you say with me, Uncle Uncle Pete? He's definitely have, has your interests at heart. So Marcus uh, did good reporting there. And sometimes when you're at these events, and I've done this too, you overhear something that is quite interesting, and then you pop on the camera. So let's play uh, what Marcus found at this Joe Biden event. The Biden event was held at the IBEW local 396 building. That is the International Brotherhood of electrical workers. So a local electrical workers union there right in Nevada. It was a small venue because as I've seen, I covered Joe Biden's foreign policy speech here last week. Uh, most of these events of uh, middle-class Joe and, and union, union guy Joe are being held at very small venues because uh, he's having trouble even filling out those small venues. So they're not going to put him in a bigger venue. So let's take a look at what Marcus found. Um, let me set it up for a minute. So Marcus cut it up into four different, four different clips. He showed you the venue before the event started. Then he showed you what, uh, what he overheard, showed you what he overheard, and then he showed you his interview with this gentleman. So let's see uh, Marcus's reporting. Again, this is ours, exclusive, uh, and, I'll, and I'll give you my thoughts on the back end. They told you to be a seat filler? Yeah. <laughs> Not really, it's just that they got more people coming, but they said they for now in case it does come in. Mm. Oh, yeah, because the seats were pretty empty, huh? Yeah. Well, I guess you guys got so many seat fillers to fill the seats. Okay. So, several things on this. Number one, let's be clear. Well, you know, this isn't Watergate. Uh, we're not saying that this is, uh, you know, a major scandal. Uh, but bottom line... Uh, from my experience covering the campaign in 2016, uh, particularly Hillary Clinton events, there were definitely, definitely events where the campaigns were basically asking people in the event venues. So whether it's a union hall, whether it's a university, whatever it was, asking people not invited for, to the event, asking people, uh, you know, that didn't show up like to see the event, but just people who work in the building or are affiliated with whatever the venue is to fill the seats to make it look more full. Um, now, this is one person saying it, but uh, we, we are, uh, Marcus doesn't know for sure, but he did say he saw this person in uh, the union offices and thinks that he was one of the union people there. 
And as you watched, he said, oh, we, they told us to fill the seats. So who knows what that means? He could have been told by his boss at the union to, you know, go sit down. Or somebody from the Biden campaign was telling them, hey, take your seats, whatever the case may be. Um, so the bottom line is this guy wasn't invited to the event. And he also wasn't there of his own volition. I wish we had it confirmed, but we're pretty sure that he was part of the union there. Why this? Why is this important? Again, we're not saying this is Watergate. We're not saying it's scandalous. I would say if the Democratic Party has an interest in defeating President Donald Trump, who, if you're watching over the last week, is looking like he is leading uh, Klan rallies or, you know, SS, you know, German, you know, Nazi rallies. And I say that. I don't casually compare Trump to Adolf Hitler. I told you last week, I stayed away from that stuff. But if you watch that event where people are chanting center back, I don't know what else you would compare it to. This is how the Holocaust and the Nazi, Nazi regime and Hitler started by basically, you know, propping up national pride by saying it's the Jews, they're the reason, uh, they're trying to steal our identity and what we've built here in Germany, and they're the other. It's exactly what's going on. So what I think is pretty significant about this story is you have somebody who, according to the polls, is leading, but very similar to 2016, where Hillary Clinton, according to the polls, was leading. They have all their events in very small venues. And even in those small venues, I mean, Marcus showed you 15 minutes before the event. If there's 98 seats available and 43 of them are not are empty, what does that tell you? Now, you could say not everybody showed up yet, blah, blah, blah. So let's say in 15 minutes, 20 more people come. And let's say five minutes to 10 minutes after the event, another five people trickle in. Well, you're still not. This is the former vice president the last vice president of the United States, not able to sell out a small union venue to the point where the union is filling the seats so that optically it doesn't look like there's any empties. Uh, try, to, tr try, try to store Watson Jr. So what? I'll tell you so what. And I'm very interested in your name. You're not going to defeat Donald Trump if you have no enthusiasm. You're not going to defeat a, a zealot, a, a, to me, a, a quasi-fascist, if you can't even fill, if you cannot inspire enough people to come out to a local union hall. And Jen and I were talking uh, before we went live. So how these campaign events work, I mean, every event's different, but a lot of events are kind of two things. Number one, they have invites, so they invite people. So, for example, the foreign policy speech that I covered last week of Joe Biden, which he said a whole lot of nothing, um, they had like three rows reserved for invite. They invited people, um, probably people at the university, donors, who knows. And then the rest of the people were there willingly uh, waiting online to get in. So a lot of these events have uh, kind of a mix of people who were invited and people who were not. I will tell you in that video, one thing that was interesting, Marcus told me the day this happened, when 
when the guy didn't see that he was shooting him, uh, he was talking very freely, as you could say. He was saying, yeah, they told us to be seat fillers and assist the Oscars. Um, but then when he saw Marcus was shooting and Marcus was talking to him, he started to like tense up a little bit, almost like he wanted to dress it up and be like, oh, no, these are all invited guests. I could promise you they were not all invited guests at a local union hall. I could promise you that. The union hall, if I go back, probably promoted it on their Facebook page. It was probably promoted in local media. They were not all invited guests to this thing. So I think that guy was trying to dress it up uh, because he saw somebody shooting him and didn't want to, you know, didn't want it to be revealed that they were uh, giving paying seat fillers. The other thing I will tell you why I think this is an important story. I didn't report this in Miami because I couldn't confirm it. I still can't confirm it. But when you couple it with what Marcus overheard in Miami, um, a local activist came up to me and said, hey, uh, me, he was wearing a Bernie shirt and he was standing with other Bernie supporters in the section where local um, local, you know, supporters of candidates stood. It's the same section that the, the DNC had cordoned off. So journalists like me could not go interview the actual supporters of candidates holding signs. Anyway, um, this activist said somebody came up to the Bernie supporters wearing a Biden shirt. Um, and he said, uh, you know, they asked why do you, you know, why he liked Biden. And the guy said he had no clue. They act, they, I don't know who they is, just gave him a shirt. Uh, and he said he actually liked Bernie. <laughs> so the, the activist said, we assumed it was the Biden's team who told the guy, you know, gave the, gave him a Biden shirt and told him, go stand over there. In fairness, I don't know if it was the Biden team that told them. It could have been NBC. It could have been the DNC. Who knows? So I don't want to, I don't have confirmation who it was, but I do know, I remember hearing it and I heard it directly that this guy wearing a Biden shirt said he's a Bernie supporter, but he was just given a shirt and told to go walk over there. My gut tells me, because I know for a fact that they were paying people to go stand with John Delaney's shirts, because who in their right mind, other than his mother and his wife, is going to willingly stand with a shirt, Delaney 2020. What would, the, what would the slogan be? Like, nothing is possible. Vote for me. So it is possible. Again, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to be petty. I'm not trying to gossip. But why would somebody who says, no, I'm a Bernie supporter, they just gave me the shirt and told me to walk over here, uh, be wearing a Biden shirt, and who is they telling him? You add that with this event where people in people who work for the union or people who work in the building are saying, oh, they're telling us we need seat fillers. I mean, did you see that hall? It was very small. This is not like the former HUD, you know, director of housing and urban development speaking. This is not the former, um, you know, deputy secretary of state. This is the last vice president of the United States who, according to the polls, is the most electable, according to the polls, is winning. Well, are you, we, Hillary Clinton was up in all the polls. Every poll said Donald Trump could not win the Republican nomination. Every poll said Hillary Clinton was up. Every poll said Hillary Clinton was gonna beat Donald Trump. Polls don't always show the whole story. So that's why well, I always said these people in 2016, mostly coming from corporate media outlets, were saying, oh, rally size doesn't matter. Rally size doesn't matter. Well. Hillary Clinton, I cover probably seven to 10 Hillary Clinton rallies. The largest event I ever saw her have was when Michelle Obama spoke. Other than that, 
It was small college gymnasiums, small union halls, nothing impressive. It's two things. This has been reported in multiple outlets. Joe Biden's campaign is intentionally booking small venues because they cannot fill big venues. Well, if you can't fill big venues, and 15 minutes before the event, half of, half of the crowd is empty. Even if it was, let's say, even if it was entirely all invite, which I don't think this event was entirely all invite, you're, it's all 15 minutes before, it's half empty? There is a gaping enthusiasm void for Joe Biden, and it is strikingly similar to what we saw for Hillary Clinton. The corporate media could spin it whatever way they want. Iceberg right ahead. This is Hillary Clinton 3.0. I say 3.0 because she lost two times, 08 and 16. There's middle class Joe at the front. There's you know Kamala Harris, who I have something to talk about with Kamala Harris a little bit later, and all the corporate media stiffs and Schumer and Nancy and Tom in the back. This is Hillary Clinton's campaign, deja vu. Am I missing something? The guy was very clearly saying, they told us to be seat fillers. What is this, the Oscars? And, you know, in some cases, for example, Jen was talk we, Jen and I were talking before the live stream. She was saying, well, I've covered Bernie events, like people working in Bernie's campaign sat in the seats, um, sat in the seats when it started, if, if there were empty seats until the people showed up. That's one thing. That's very different than somebody who works at an event venue filling seats. So like a union worker or somebody who works for these venues filling the seats, filling the seats because they can't get people to show up. And the importance of this, the importance of this is we are looking right now in basically it's almost August. So August, September, October, November, December, January, seven months before the Iowa caucus. The corporate media continues to prop up this man. Most of these polls are undersampling, undersampling young people. When I say young people, I'm, I'm, I'm branching that off even under 50. No offense to my older viewers, but we, we have reported this at status quo. So if, if they cannot, if they cannot, if they cannot fill even smaller venues, what does that tell you? Campaigns need energy to win. Look to the campaigns that have lost. Al Gore, even though by technically he did win. I don't like Al Gore, but he won. He won. Look at Al Gore. Look at John Kerry, not exactly enthralling man. He didn't win. Obama, who was full of it, inspiring guy, hoodwinked a lot of us watching right now, and me. Very inspiring, energized the nation. Donald Trump, zealot. I'm moving over to remove the quasi and just call him a fascist. Inspired a whole, like, you know, 60 million people to vote for him. The candidates that lose can't fill venues, are uninspiring, have poor debate performances. So when the record, when the history books are written, if, it, if they push Biden through as the nominee and he loses, remember 
things like this, where status quo and Marcus with the great reporting was showing you they're filling seats at these things. I have news. Status quo has been approved for the CNN debate, sort of, sort of. So, of course, of course, CNN, if you don't know, if you're new to this channel, CNN had actually filed a copyright violation against this channel in March, I believe it was. So we were prevented. We were prevented from even going live for three months. And that was a pain in the butt. Thank God that's over with. But we were prevented from going live for three months. MSNBC denied us credentials to cover uh, the first debate. When life gives you lemons, make lemonade. We had a good time. We got over 130 new paid members. Thank you for becoming a status quo member. We had some videos go viral with those Trump supporters outside the debate. We covered a Green New, a really amazing Green New Deal march. We covered a Medicare for All march. We covered a Tulsi Gabbard debate watch party. We covered a Bernie Sanders debate watch party. We did a whole lot of good stuff. So we applied, and MSNBC gave us the nonsense of, you know, space constraints. Well, that great reporter, Jimmy Dore, uh, great comedian Jimmy Dore, was got inside because he was an invited guest of Tulsi Gabbard. He didn't get in as press, but he got in anyway. He told me you could hit a golf ball across the room, nobody would get hit. It was so, it was just plenty of room. So obviously that was BS. MSNBC didn't want us on, want us in there because let's just say the Democratic Party knows my work. I don't even mean it arrogantly. They just know who I am. They know the Donna Brazil thing. And that Donna Brazil thing happened because I had credentials for that debate to go into what they call the spin room after the debate. And the spin room is another word for the lying room, the, 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 the lying lounge where campaign officials go in and just lie about the candidate's record and their debate performance. So we get this doozy from CNN, your request for a press credential is approved. However, due to space constraints, we are not able to provide you with access to the press filing and spin room. So where your request for access to media row is approved. However, due to space constraints, we are not able, not able to provide you with access to the spin room or the press filing room. So let me tell you what that means. Uh, media row, media row is basically a row inside the debate where media who gets credentialed can broadcast. So, you know, all, you know, pundits and all sorts of people, sometimes politicians, uh, are guests on all these shows, and they're all in one section. So you have everywhere from, you know, CNN to NPR to probably the Young Turks to Now This News to, you know, the corporate or independent media. And they're in Media Row. I personally don't give a flying fuck about being in Media Row. It'll be nice to have credentials to go inside the building because it's pretty hot out nowadays, so at least Ty and I could get a break and go inside the building, but, you know, to, to, to sit there and interview pundits, that's not what Status Quo does. I'm not interested, really, in interviewing pundits. I would be interested in interviewing uh, campaign aides to the Biden campaign 
or the Harris campaign or the Buttigieg judge campaign or Tulsi Gabbard's campaign or Elizabeth Warren's campaign or any of the candidate Bernie's campaign. And I'm sure uh, now that we could actually get into the building, it would be a little easier to interview people from Bernie's campaign, Tulsi's campaign, and hopefully other campaigns. But Media Row is generally speaking, just a giant circle jerk of corporate media and pundits go on shows. That's, that's what it is. Or, you know, NPR broadcasting from the debate, or, you know, that's how it is. It's not, it's not where like, the, the, sometimes the candidates will go and do interviews, but generally speaking, you're not gonna have a lot of ability to interview campaign officials. The other thing, so that's what we got approved for. What we got denied for was the press filing room, which I also don't care about that. That's just the press can sit during the debate, right? You know, they're writing their stories, they're tweeting, they're filing, you know, which whatever. But I don't really care. I don't need to sit next to a bunch of corporate hacks pretending to be journalists during the debate. The spin room is where it's at. The spin room is what we want access to because that's after the debate. That is where Joe Biden's campaign people, uh, Kamala Harris's campaign campaign people, Elizabeth Warren's campaign people, um, you name it, the campaign officials, uh, I believe, could be wrong. I, I think Simone Sanders, who is, uh, you know, I think trading whatever integrity she had, throwing it out the door to, to lie for Joe Biden on national television. She was Bernie Sanders press sec secretary. Oh boy, would I love to interview her in that spin room. I would love to interview a, a person from the Harris campaign. Uh, I got something to cover about Harris. I would love to interview some people with Elizabeth Warren's campaign because I got some questions. Apparently, apparently, there's enough space for us to basically stand in a circle jerk with other media. Not enough space for us to go in and challenge anyone. I wonder why that is. Jen, do you wonder why that is? How there's space for us to get in the building, but there's no space for us to go into the spin room and interview anyone? Could that have anything to do with the fact that they know we're not going to just sit there and be like, how do you think your candidate did in the debate? Did you like that zinger? Do you think they're up, down, or sideways? And by the way, for context, the spin room is where I interviewed Donna Brazil in 2016, which uh, for those of you that saw that, I challenged her and it went pretty viral. So bottom line, listen, you got to pace yourself in campaigns. Of course, I could rabble rouse at this debate. At least we have the ability to go in this time. I could see if I could get in the spin room if I play nice. I don't think they're going to let us in the spin room, but I could still see. I could even try to sneak into the spin room. But if you sneak into the spin room and you get caught, whoop, I ain't getting in to these events ever again. And I probably won't get into Biden events, Harris events, whatever. So that's how access journalism works. If you're a good little boy and girl, you can come in the spin room. You could do all the stenography you want. You could ask all the softball questions you want. You could pretend to be a journalist all you want. And everything is good. If you're part of the club, you could come in and spin, a.k.a. let the candidates lie and pass that off to your audience uncritically. But if you challenge someone, we'll let you in like the front door. You know, we'll let you walk around the kitchen 
we're not letting you sit down for dinner. That's basically what CNN is telling status quo. We'll let you in. We'll let you stand and, you know, you could look at the look at the nice tables. You could read the menu. Maybe we'll let you sit at the bar while waiting for a table, but no guarantees you're going to get a table. Actually, guarantee you're not going to get a table. So, that's the deal. We're still going anyway. Just like we did in Miami, we're going to cover the debate the way status quo covers it, which is with the people outside. We'll go in and we'll take the temperature, see if there's anything we could get inside. But for the most part, we're going to be outside with the people. We'll be at the debate watch parties again. We'll try to get into the spin room if we can. We'll try to interview the likes of Simone Sanders. Uh, I don't think they're going to be so willing to do that because they, they know they're not going to be able to lie like they do on CNN and MSNBC and get away with it. So we'll see. We'll see. Did you see this MSNBC clip? I mean, obviously, we know what MSNBC is. We know that MSNBC is basically an arm of the Democratic Party. Um, Carne Verde, can Satisku interview the candidate supporters on the other side of the roped-off areas this time? If the DNC doesn't try and use them as props and forbid the media from going near them, if you didn't watch in Miami, they literally used human beings as props. They had them hold up signs for their candidate but rope them off so nobody could go up and interview them. I've never seen anything like it. They're human mannequins. So this MSNBC clip, I've seen a lot of things on MSNBC. They lie all the time. There was an anchor who literally showed a poll that showed Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren tied and said, Elizabeth Warren has taken the lead over Bernie Sanders. Like stuff like that, just like glaringly lying. But it's, it's different when you have people on that just release all this vitriol Against, it's one thing if you are like just like a corporate Democrat hack who doesn't want Medicare for all. Okay, I could deal with that. We'll debate it. We'll show that you're, you know, greedy. We'll show that you probably have a conflict of interest. But at least like it's on a policy. But the people that MSNBC are having on are so deranged about Bernie Sanders, you have to wonder, does it go higher? Why are they so deranged about Bernie Sanders? May Ed Schultz, the great host, rest in peace, Remember in 2015, when he was still at MSNBC, he had gone up to Burlington, Vermont for MSNBC to interview Bernie Sanders. He was about to start his show, The Ed Show, live uh, with an interview with Bernie Sanders. And Phil uh, Griffin, the president of MSNBC, shut him down, said, you are not uh, interviewing Bernie Sanders live uh, to lead lead off this hour and and totally shut him down. And then, you know, shocker, Ed Schultz uh, was later basically let go from MSNBC. Ironically, he was the only one on air against the TPP and he was the only one trying to give Bernie Sanders fair coverage. He was let go. And he passed away, sadly, I think last year. Uh, he was, I, I love Ed Schultz. So let's take a look at this. Uh, we're going to start with our friend Zerlina Maxwell, who's just completely full of shit, saying things that just are based on nothing other than her strange Bernie derangement this is MSNBC from this weekend. Uh, I think the show is called Up, and they have Zelina Maxwell and someone else on to spew lies and, frankly, bizarre derangement about Bernie Sanders. Here we go. So I just want to have you weigh in here as, mm-hmm. you, as you look at these two candidates side by side, what the differences are. Yeah. And I guess a huge one is just how they regard themselves. Mm-hmm. 
Bernie Sanders, avowed democratic socialist. Mm -hmm. Elizabeth Warren, believer in the markets with regulation, a, a more nuanced, a better uh, patrolled set right. of markets than, right. than, than we have. Well, I think it's interesting that you use, use the word nuanced because that's actually what I'm thinking about as I compare them. Uh -huh. um, they obviously have the same uh, similar set of values in terms of what the government should be doing for the American people and how you should regulate that government so that it works for everybody, right? They agree on that. They don't agree on the approach to get there. And in Elizabeth Warren's case, I actually know in detail how she wants to get there. And I would say that in Bernie Sanders' case, there are certain policies like Medicare for All that he put out a lot more detail than some of his other ideas. Um, I don't have as much of the detail of how we're going to transform the healthcare industry, to quote you know, something he says all the time, mm -hmm. right? And so how are you going to transform it? Elizabeth Warren, on the one hand, will tell me exactly how. Sometimes Bernie Sanders does not. So I think it's very important to have them on the same stage at a debate so you can make that direct comparison. You don't need to pay attention to political analysts like me, you know, where I'm saying one is a little bit more heavy on the details than the other. You'll be able to see that. So this was, uh, this was the more timid, this was the more um, mild criticism. Again, it's not based on anything in fact. Actually, as I'm about to show you, it's a lie. She says, uh, Bernie Sanders with like plans like Medicare for all, Elizabeth Warren is way more specific on how she's going to do it. How is she going to do it? Way more specific than, than Bernie. Bernie just throws these things out there, no specifics. Elizabeth Warren has changed her, basically has floated like the wind on Medicare for all. Not only has, do we have very little specifics, how she'll do it, we don't even know if she'll do it because she has said a different thing over and over again. Of course, this MSNBC anchor, who's not a journalist, he's a mannequin with makeup on, pretending to be one, doesn't challenge this bullshit. But this is how groupthink and group lies capture the electorate to basically prop up one candidate and prop down another. By the way, Elizabeth Warren, she has good policies. The problem is, they, they keep branding her as this I have a plan person, when in reality, a lot of her plans are recycled Bernie plans. Not just Bernie plans, but a lot of her plans were put forth by other senators that she signed on as a co-sponsor. So props to her for being for the right plans, but she's not exactly reinventing the wheel, as Colin Tooley so wonderfully shows us in this graphic. But MSNBC and Politico and all these places are making it seem like Elizabeth Warren is... It's just so specific. She's got a plan down to, you know, she's like one of those uh, really anal retentive people that have a 10-page itinerary for vacations down to the very minute what you're going to be doing. Uh, not so. So let's hear Elizabeth Warren what she has to do. If, if like Zolina Maxwell has said, she's so specific on how she's going to transform the healthcare industry and how she's going to do Medicare for All. How specific does this sound to you? Yes. Look. And in fact, I'd be focused on three things. The first is we need to defend the Affordable Care Act. The Republicans are still attacking it. Lawsuit down in Texas. HHS is doing everything they can to take the legs out of it. Second thing we need to do, uh, we need to pick off the things that are easy, reduce the cost of prescription drugs. I've got a bill to reduce the cost of generic drugs. Uh, we need a consumer's Bill of Rights for insurance, private insurance, so that people don't get ripped off. Uh, same kind of deal I set up for credit card companies. That's part two. And part three, we got to keep moving us to a place where 
everybody is covered at the lowest possible cost. And there are a lot of different ways to get there. Medicare for All has a lot of different paths for how we get there. But ultimately, it's about making sure that we all adhere to the basic principle. Healthcare is a basic human right. It is our collective responsibility to make sure everybody gets coverage at the lowest possible cost. And Medicare, best way to get there. I'm sorry, did I miss where she offered one specific? Did she offer any specifics of how she's going to get cheaper prescription drugs? And again, with the language from Elizabeth Warren, uh, you know, there's plenty of ways to get there. This is the talk of people who are flexible on capital M Medicare for all. This is the talk of people who are flexible on capital M Medicare for all. Okay. Here's another doozy where, where Zerlina Maxwell says Elizabeth Warren is super, super specific. And I know how she's going to do it. Well, let's see what she says here during her CNN town hall from a few months ago. What we're all looking for is the lowest cost way to make sure everybody gets covered. And some folks are talking about, let's start lowering the age. Maybe bring it down to 60, 55, 50. That helps cover people who are most at risk and can be helpful, for example, to the labor's plans. Some people say, do it the other way. Let's bring it up from uh, everybody under 30 gets covered by Medicare. Others say, let employers be able to buy into the Medicare plans. Others say, let's let employees buy into the Medicare plans. For me, what's key is we get everybody at the table on this, that labor's at the table, that people who have to buy on their own, everybody comes to the table together, and we figure out how to do Medicare for all in a way that make sure that we're gonna get 100% coverage in this country at the lowest possible cost for everyone. So you are a co-sponsor of Senator Bernie yep. Sanders' Medicare for, for All bill. And I understand there are a lot of different paths to universal coverage, but, yep. but his bill that you've co-sponsored would essentially eliminate private insurance. Is that something you could support? He's got a runway for that. I think we get everybody together and that's what it is, we'll decide. Yeah, you know, like, let's just get everybody together, get, get at the table, and, you know, we'll just work it out. We'll just work it out. Was that what Zorlina Maxwell was speaking about? How specific, you know, Elizabeth Warren, she's so specific. She's so specical. She's so specific. I know exactly how she's going to do it. And by the way, by the way, and to be clear, I know a lot of you don't like it, but I think you're all crazy. Uh, if Elizabeth Warren is the nominee, I am going to vote for her over Donald Trump. I don't even think it's a, to me, it's not even a debate. You vote for whoever you want. I'm not pushing it on you, but I don't know how you could, I don't know how people could look at Elizabeth Warren versus what you're starting to see at these Trump rallies, which is remnants of Nazi Germany. Like she's not Hillary Clinton. That's my opinion. I don't think she's going to be the nominee, but I think some people are being a little extreme. You know, she would be way more progressive than Donald Trump on economics. However, I have to point out these pundits on MSNBC, uh, these pundits uh, on CNN, the New York Times, the Washington Post, political, everybody that's propping her up is, I have a plan, I have a plan. She's been all over the place on Medicare for All. So in that thing, right there, she says, well, you know, that he, he's shown a runway for that. She didn't give a firm answer on whether she's going to abolish private health insurance, which has to be 
abolished if you're going to have universal health care, single payer, Medicare for all. Again, there could be private doctors, but you cannot have this hierarchical top-down system of big insurance companies, big pharma. You cannot have it and have a functioning, vibrant, uh, cost-effective, universal government program. You cannot. So in that case, she doesn't give an answer on whether she's going to get rid of private insurance. Well, at the first debate, let's see what she said. Polish their private health insurance in favor of a government-run plan. Just a show of hands to start off with. All right, well. So, yes, I'm with Bernie on Medicare for All, and let me tell you why. I've spent a big chunk of my life studying why families go broke. And one of the number one reasons is the cost of health care, medical bills. And that's not just for people who don't have insurance. It's for people who have insurance. Look at the business model of an insurance company. It's to bring in as many dollars as they can in premiums and to pay out as few dollars as possible for your health care. That leaves families with rising premiums, rising co-pays, and fighting with insurance companies to try to get the health care that their doctors say that they and their children need. Medicare for All solves that problem. And I understand there are a lot of politicians who say, oh, it's just not possible, we just can't do it, it's have a lot of political reasons for this. What they're really telling you is they just won't fight for it. Well, health care is a basic human right, and I will fight for basic human rights. Well, that's one hell of an answer, but it's one hell of a different answer than she gave to the New York Times, that she gave to at that CNN town hall. And by the way, Zerlina Maxwell says, I don't know how Bernie's going to do it, but with Warren, I know how she's going to do it. In what world, in any of the clips I just showed you, does Elizabeth Warren describe how she's going to provide Medicare for all? What she said was, I'm with Bernie, meaning I'm with Bernie's plan. She co-sponsored. She was one of the co-sponsors on Bernie Sanders' Medicare for all plan. Is that one of the, I have a plan that she took from Bernie Sanders? Again, some of her plans are her own. She came up with them. She deserves credit for some of them. I think her plan to break up Amazon and Facebook and all that is terrific. Great plan. Bernie should do the same thing. But this bullshit on MSNBC and other places that, oh, I know how she's going to do it. And she's much more specific and all this. It's propaganda. And this is from someone who would vote for her if it came down to that. If you don't want to vote for her, don't vote for her. I don't really care. I don't tell people, unlike some outlets, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. We're all adults. You vote for whoever you want. But it, it, it's just an alternative reality. And of course, the anchor doesn't push it, but it all manufactures consent for Warren and discontent for Bernie. So it seeps into the mainstream that Bernie's just tossing out ideas with no idea how he's going to get any of it done, no ideas how to pay for it, when that's just not true. It's not. Here's the other thing. Here's the other thing. Bernie Sanders has offered specifics. I'm going to put this in the super chat for those of you who want to actually be bored and read it. Bernie Sanders has offered specifics on how to pay for Medicare for all, how he's going to transform the system. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he gives several options and he calls them options because he would have to negotiate it. 
So you could have a 7.5% income-based premium paid by employers. So employers would pay 7.5%, basically a tax. Revenue raised, 3.9 trillion over 10 years. Businesses would save over 9,000 in healthcare costs for the average employee under this option. He also has a 4% income tax, income-based premium paid by households, 3.5 trillion over 10 years. Typical middle-class family would save over $4,400 under this plan. Savings from health tax expenditures, Several tax breaks that subsidize health care would become obsolete and disappear under For Medicare for All. The biggest health expenditure is the uh, preference that excludes employer-paid premiums from payroll and income tax. Options to make the wealthy pay for their fair share. Make the personal income tax more progressive. Progressive. Revenue raised $1.8 trillion over 10 years. Under this plan, the marginal income tax rate would be 40% on income between $250,000 and $500,000. 45% on income between $500,000 and $2 million. 50% on income between 2 million and 10 million. So it's all right there. It's all right there. Bernie Sanders has been specific. To be fair, and I've criticized Bernie, I don't know, I don't always think when he does interviews or even at the debate, he's been explaining Medicare for all 100% effectively. Because in the debate, if you remember, he said, well, you save money on healthcare. No, what Bernie Sanders simply needs to do is put his hand up Say, look, Savannah Guthrie, look, Jake Tupperware at the CNN debate. If you pay $15,000 a year for your family in health care, from the money they take out of your paycheck for your health care, from the co-pays, the deductibles, the co-insurance, the hidden costs that come up, if you pay $15,000, okay? And instead of that, you're going to pay an extra $10,000 as a family in income, in taxes, Okay. So to pay for Medicare for all, you would have to pay an extra 10,000 a month, uh, a year in taxes. The 15,000 you're paying for healthcare, gone like the wind. What, what is left is the 10,000 in tax increases. Is that a tax increase or a tax cut? That's a tax cut. And the problem is they're not, the corporate media is spinning it, but premiums, co-pays, deductible, the money that's taken out of your paycheck for your employer-based health insurance, it is a tax. It's just called something else. So what in what generally is, what generally would you call it if you're saving money? So if the 15000 is gone and the 10000 tax increase is there, it's a cut. It's savings. And I don't think he's explained that optimally. I think Fez Shakir, his campaign manager, has. So if anyone in the Bernie campaign watches me, that's my two cents. So it's just lie after lie after lie after lie by MSNBC, and it's nauseating after a while. But that, that wasn't even the worst of it. And by the way, what I just did, what I just showed you on how Elizabeth Warren isn't more specific on how she's going to transform the Medicare for All system or the healthcare system, even though Zerlina Maxwell, a brainless pundit, said so, and the anchor didn't challenge her, it took me five minutes to find all that. So it's not at all hard for these journalists or these pundits to find the truth, they willfully, intentionally are lying. And that's dangerous. And that's not journalism, that's propaganda. But it gets worse. This whole clip got a lot worse. Here we go.
You can make that direct comparison. You don't need to pay attention to a political analysts like me, you know, where I'm saying one is a little bit more heavy on the details than the other. You'll be able to see that. How much does that permeate the debates, John? Uh, I mean, we've had one thus far, and Elizabeth Warren has all of these plans, all of these proposals, as Serena is saying. How does that manifest itself on that debate stage? How much does it matter when you have these two candidates side by side, the, the granular detail in a plan like that? Well, I think it matters a lot because uh, Elizabeth Warren has branded herself as the more practical of the two, the more concrete of the two, um, and she's been kind of eating his lunch for the last couple of months. Um, she had a plan for that, arguably. What's that? She had a plan for that. She had a plan for that. <laughs> Another ridiculous statement. Another ridiculous statement. Yes, some polls have shown Elizabeth Warren rising. She is rising. Here's the most recent Iowa poll. Bernie Sanders in second place. Not so far behind Joe Biden. This is CBS YouGov. Here's New Hampshire. Bernie Sanders in second place. Elizabeth Warren trails him. Here's South Carolina. Biden is kicking everybody's butt. Let's just call it what it is. Elizabeth Warren is in a distant fourth place. Bernie Sanders is in second place. Eating his lunch. Yes, she had a very good fundraising quarter. I give her credit. I reported on it. Bernie Sanders still out fundraised every single other person. And let me find that if I have it. Yeah, we have it right here. I already reported on this. We got exclusively status quo. Nobody else had it. Bernie got 450,000 unique donors. That's 450,000 single, excuse me, 450,000 different people donated to Bernie Sanders' campaign in April, May, and June. That's what the second quarter is. Elizabeth Warren had 384,000. Bernie Sanders had 1 million donations. Elizabeth Warren, 683,000. Bernie Sanders, $10 less the average donation. She raised $1.1 million more. Credit to her. The overall numbers, it's not even close. Bernie Sanders had more donors, had more actual donations, uh, and has a lower amount, which shows even more grassroots support. And Bernie Sanders, by the way, eating his, she's eating his lunch, he's had a record number of donations. Record number of donations. Two million donations in four months. So, you could say Elizabeth Warren has do, been doing better. She definitely has risen in the polls. Eating his lunch. Are you kidding me? I mean, it's just one lie on top of lie on top of lie on top of lie. It's absurd. So then this clip turns to what I think was just the anchor has a responsibility to shut this down. I'm sure you've already seen it. If you haven't, here it is. <laughs> Look, the, the, the difference between running as the only alternative to Hillary Clinton, who is a, uh, a baggage-carrying establishment uh, uh, candidate, um, not a terrible candidate, but, but she had problems, uh, is much different from running in a field with 20 people, including people who share your values and your approach, who are uh, more effective in uh, certain respects politically. Elizabeth Warren's also a Democrat. Bernie, Warren, uh, Bernie Sanders is not a Democrat. And he did not do especially well with uh, self-identified Democrats in the 2016 election. He did better with independents. So I think that um, uh, Elizabeth Warren has done a very effective job so far. Can she keep it going? She has some problems of her own. Uh, we'll see. I like that Bernie Warren spoonerism. You put that yeah. bumper sticker. Perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Let me ask you last. Let me just you know how you study these debates and look at these debates. How you think that this this distinction is going to be made on the debate stage in, in Detroit? 
Well, I mean, look, first of all, I think what the first debate showed us is that they do make a difference, right? I mean, we've already had at least one candidate drop out. Um, so, you know, it feels like this is going to narrow it further and further. Um, I think, you know, having Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren next to each other will really highlight, because for me, as, you know, again, I'm not the political analyst here, but just as a woman, probably considered a somewhat moderate Democrat, I, Bernie Sanders makes my skin crawl, and I can't even identify for you what exactly it is, but I, I see him as sort of a, a not pro-woman candidate. And so having the two of them there, like, I don't understand young women who support him. And I'm hoping that having him next to her will help highlight that, because those are the people that I, if I were her, I would want to say, well, why are you supporting him and not me if you're going to choose between the two of us? We're going to leave it there. Come back in just a moment. Mike Memley, thank you very much. Joining us from Iowa this morning. Maybe you should go to a dermatologist. So let's take a look at who this quack is first. Mimi Roca. She's a distinguished fellow in criminal justice at uh, Pace University, graduated magna cum laude from New York NYU uh, School of Law. She was also an assistant United States attorney in the Southern District of New York from February 2001 until October 2017. I didn't have a lot of time to really look into her, but I'm pretty sure she's a pretty big time lawyer. She worked for the Southern District of New York, who is the same Southern District investigating Trump and his businesses and possible money laundering. I think she's wealthy. I can't confirm that. It really doesn't matter to tell you the truth. But what's amazing to me about that clip is that on a news network, on a news network, again, I say news loosely, an anchor allows a guest to say, I'm not the political analyst. So she's already saying, I don't know anything about politics. I'm not qualified to even talk about this, okay? Which is fine. You don't need to be have like a you know master's degree in politics to talk about it. She already says, I don't know anything about anything. I can't really tell you why I feel this way. I don't know what I'm talking about. But he just makes my skin crawl. And the anchor, a responsible journalist, and that well, a, a responsible journalist would say, all right, well, let's hold up. I mean, can you point to anything? Because that's pretty strong stuff that you think you're basically saying he's anti-woman. I mean, do you have anything to support that other than, like, you don't like his accent? Or, you know, you don't like his glasses? I mean, that is, that is absurd and it's offensive. And that anchor, frankly, should correct on air some of the record. Because... If somebody wants to go on and say, I don't believe we should eliminate private insurance, and that's why I'm not for Bernie Sanders, or I don't believe that we should allow, uh, we should give free public college, or we should cancel student debt, that's fine. We could debate it, and they will be proven wrong. But to just spew this vitriol, and by the way, I would say that also, like, if I just went on uh, MSNBC and CNN and was like, I don't know, I just, Kamala Harris, she makes my skin crawl. Can you imagine what would happen to me if I just said, uh, you know, I, I can't I can't say why. I just think that Pete Buttigieg's like there's something about him that just makes me want to jump off a bridge. She wasn't qualified to discuss it. But putting that aside, the anchor, because this is their goal to knock Bernie out. Not just MSNBC, CNN, New York Times, Washington Post, of course. 
It is so irresponsible. It's not journalism. It's not even just propaganda. It's dangerous. So I'm just going to borrow. I'm just going to borrow from uh, this guy, Davis Tom. Uh, I don't, I should have looked. Hold on. I don't know who he is, but credit to him if you want to follow him on Twitter. Uh, heard you said that Bernie is anti-woman. I would like to point you to some history. In 1972, a year before Roe versus Wade, Bernie ran on a platform saying it strikes me as incredible that politicians think that they have a right to tell a woman what she can or cannot do with her body. You know, that was the year 1972. That was the year 1972. You know who said something different just two years later? So Bernie, before Roe versus Wade, said it's mind-boggling to me that men feel they have the right to tell a woman what to do with their body. This was Joe Biden in 1974, never gets mentioned in the media. I don't think I don't think that a woman has the sole right to say what should happen to her body. No, not making it up. This is something Joe Biden said in an interview. I don't think that a woman has the sole right to say that, to say what should happen to her body. This is in 1974 when, he's, when he was in his 30s, not 10 years old. And Bernie Sanders, who, in 1972, a year before Roe versus Wade, says it strikes me as incredible that politicians think they have the right to tell a woman what she can or cannot do with her body. Bernie Sanders is the anti-woman candidate? I mean, you cannot make this shit up. And in a sane news environment, Joe Biden would be asked, well, why did you say that in the 1970s? What did you mean by that? What made you change your mind that women should control their own bodies? And by the way, would you take a, if you took a survey, how many women that watch CNN or MSNBC do you know have ever, ever heard that quote that Joe Biden said? My guess, zero. A few more uh, from Davis Tom. Uh, his account says David. Tom, read bio, uh, feel free to follow him. Uh, Bernie's 1972 governor election profile, a feminist view of the Democratic and Liberty Union candidates. Bernie Sanders, mayor, the working women's ally, ally. an affirmative action which brought, which brought women into well-paying construction jobs and how it challenged the ideological assumptions about women holding unfeminine jobs. Do you know, in 1991, Bernie Sanders tried to add an amendment to Civil Rights Act of 1991 that would have ensured that race and sex discrimination would be treated identically under federal law. 1992, breast cancer in America today is a tragedy of epidemic proportions. And he had a plan and a bill. The Senate version became law in October 1992. Without the Freedom of Choice Act, a woman, women will need a computer program and a travel guide to find a safe and legal abortion. Bernie Sanders on him pushing the passage of Freedom of Choice Act, April 1992. Bernie Sanders' 1994 op-ed about his House resolution to urge the insurance industry as a whole to abide by the established guidelines of the pedi pediatric organizations. But it, it, it's, it's just insane. Listen, if you don't like Bernie Sanders, if you're a corporate hack, if you're a greedy motherfucker who says, I'm going to eat my cake, you're not getting your Medicare for all because it will make me lose my money. If you want to say... I'm going to eat my fucking cake. I'm going to drink my champagne. I'm going to eat my caviar and you can go fuck yourself with your little single pair and your little 
free public college and I'll let the planet burn if it means I can go out five nights a week, then go on TV and defend it. Okay? But do not smear a actual public servant who's been fighting for women probably longer than you've been alive. Here is uh, uh, Harvard University Institute of Politics poll among young women. Bernie Sanders leads narrows to five points, 29% for Sanders, 24% Biden, O'Rourke in third with 9%, followed by Harris with 7%. So apparently the younger generation of America likes them and is feeling the burn. And by the way, there's a lot of older women that like Bernie Sanders. And by the way, this doesn't mean, I'm sorry I'm a little late to this clip because this was a week ago. I've just been super busy covering other stuff. This answer by Kamala Harris is one of the, in terms of bullshit detectors, this is one of the worst answers I've ever seen a presidential candidate give. And of course, CNN like gingerly challenged her, very gingerly challenged her. Kamala Harris is presenting to America fairy dust and no one is calling her on it. Let's take a look. This is Kamala Harris on Medicare for All. What Vice President, what former Vice President Joe Biden would suggest is that you're not necessarily being clear with the American people. And just this past week, he was asked about ending private insurance as we know it. And when he asked about the others, the former Vice President responded, so far not. Because 150 million Americans are covered by private insurance. Are you, what happens to those 150 million Americans under President Harris? Well, it's the same as the millions of Americans every day that transition into Medicare as seniors. It's seamless, without any difference to their coverage in terms of access to, to, to health care. It has to happen over a period of time. There's no question we would have to go from the current system into a Medicare for All system and transition into it. Um, but the idea that there would be any substantial difference in terms of the health care that people receive, it's just not accurate. So people who have private insurance would eventually have to give that up under your plan? They would eventually be covered under Medicare for All and they would still see their doctor. And that's what they want. How long would this transition take? I think the transition is going to have to take, I mean, the bill is four years. I think it's going to have to take more than that, maybe, to be honest with you. Yeah. And all of this done without a middle class tax hike? Without a middle class tax hike? Yes. yes. $30 trillion. Over 10 years. There are ways to pay for it, also understanding the investment that we are going to be making in a way that is going to reap great benefits in terms of other costs. The investment where? In American health and what we are otherwise paying as a cost for people not having access to health care and the burdens that places on systems across the board when people don't have access to health care. And when, you, when people question that... There is no formula for this, that you are going to find money in magical ways is not realistic thinking. How do you respond to that? Status quo is not enough. So we have to be open to challenging status quo so that everyone has access to health care and price is not the burden, not, is not the barrier. We have to agree that what's happening right now is not affordable to many, many working families. It's just not affordable. One in five people can't afford their prescription medication. We're looking at a situation where 
one in four diabetes patients can't afford their insulin. We're looking at a, at, at a situation where seniors are coming out of pocket as much as $4,000 a year to pay for their arthritis medication because it's not otherwise, they can't afford it. We have to move to a system where price is not the barrier to access to health care. Well, Joe Biden says that this is what you are suggesting of Obamacare. Is that accurate? It's absolutely not. Listen, I, I will put my record up against anybody. So let me get this straight. Let me get this straight. Kamala Harris is going to provide universal health care for all Americans as part of Medicare for All. She's flip-flopped about 17 times on whether she's going to abolish private insurance, which needs to be abolished to make it happen, but put that aside. She is going to do this without raising taxes on, I mean, there really isn't a middle class left, but whatever, you want to call it the middle class, by not raising taxes on everyday Americans, which I've already described to you earlier. Yes, taxes are going to go up under Bernie Sanders' plan. He's not lying to you. He's saying your taxes are going to go up, but your health care costs are going to go way down, and the costs that you're going to save from health care are going to be more than the tax increase, meaning you're going to have more savings than tax increases. So overall, between the two, you're going to be saving more money. So at least he's honest, yeah, you're going to get a new set of taxes to pay for this, but you're going to save money because the health care costs are way more than that. Kamala Harris is saying, no, I'm going to give you this. Kamala Harris is saying, no, 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 I'm going to give you the goods. I'm going to give you Medicare for all. And I'm not going to raise, you're not going to have any new taxes to pay. So the, the deductibles, the co-pays, the co-insurance, gone. The, and no tax increases. Because I'm not prepared for a middle class tax cut. A middle class tax increase. Which is what her consultants and Hillary Clinton's people are telling her what to say. Just move your lips. Don't worry if any of it makes any sense. Don't worry about if you're telling the truth. Just move those lips. Make it sound progressive. Make it sound progressive. It is not even mathematical. And by the way, I'm not somebody who's like, oh, how are you going to pay for it? I believe in modern monetary theory. We got more than enough money to pay for all of this. Uh, you think taxes cover our endless war? Not even close. We print the money. We print the money to pay for endless war. And if you just noticed, Trump is sending another 500 troops to the Middle East to fight Iran. This is on top of the 1,500 troops he sent a month ago. So 2,000 troops have been sent to Iran within the last two months. Barely any coverage. Barely any coverage on this. So Kamala Harris, you have Zerlina Maxwell and these fucking idiots on MSNBC saying, oh, you know, Elizabeth Warren is specific. Bernie Sanders, how is he going to do it? Are you kidding me? Kamala Harris should be disqualified from the race with answers like that. She is lying to the American people. You cannot, you cannot offer a universal, it's expensive, it is expensive. It's less expensive than our current healthcare system, but Medicare for all under Bernie is gonna cost between 30 and $40 trillion. But it's going to save us a lot more. And Kamala Harris is saying, I'm gonna provide what Bernie Sanders is talking about with no tax increases on anybody other than Wall Street, which we both know that's not going to happen because Wall Street is who she's taking money from. 
It's just nonsense and it's lies. And basically the CNN anchor like, or reporter kind of like very gingerly pushed back on her. I would have hammered her over the head. And when she pushed back, did you notice she asked her, well, how? She didn't have an answer. She was asked basically, I'm paraphrasing, I don't remember what the reporter asked, but she said like, but how are you gonna do that? She didn't have an answer and then said, the status, the status quo cannot continue. She just totally pivoted and didn't answer and the status quo cannot continue. This is the answers. This is how people answer that have no policies, that have no moral compass, that have no actual, you know, guiding principle on politics and are just saying whatever the hell they've been told to say by the consultants, by their campaign officials, by Hillary Clinton's donors and the DNC. So next time you're told that Bernie Sanders is just throwing shit against the wall, he doesn't explain how he's going to do it, it's pie in the sky, show them that, that Kamala Harris clip. Please show them that Kamala Harris clip where she, she defines economic sense. She, she doesn't actually say how she's going to pay for it. If we're all not going to pay a little bit more in taxes to overall save more money, what are you going to charge? You're going to charge it the 30 trillion to Wall Street? <laughs> she has no idea how she's going to do it because she's not actually going to follow through on it. If Kamala Harris became president, she will, you know, do some mealy mouth incremental bullshit, maybe expand Obamacare, maybe put in like a half a public option that's not even a full public option and say, well, I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. Even though all the polls show this is what the people want. That's exactly what's going to happen. 